So, last two weeks, we've had um, Craig up here, and he spoke on the resurrection, and then we've had um, Chris up here, and he really focused on the Trinity, and that has built a platform for me to move into the Son and the Holy Spirit quite nicely, and so I'm not going to try and make the same arguments that Chris has already made around um, heresy. Um, and around the Trinity, because he did a wonderful job last week. But I am going to focus on these two persons. But before we get into digging through the Bible, um, I'm just going to read them to us now. So first off, the Son. We believe that the Jesus, we believe that Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God, fully God and fully man that he is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, that he died as a substitute and a representative for sinners, redeems us as sinful people, and that he rose from the dead and ascended to heaven, where he is now our high priest and advocate. So there's a lot in that one. Um, and we will probably just end up focusing mainly on fully God and fully man because that's really important for us to understand. I can't go through everything. <laughs> so that's what we'll focus on for that one. And in the Holy Spirit. We believe that the Holy Spirit is fully God, that he dwells in every believer and seals them at conversion. And by his baptism, unites all believers into the body of Christ, that in keeping with his purposes... Christ gave gifts, to, gave gifts of the Holy Spirit for the upbuilding of the church and progressively produce fruit of Christ-like character in us. So that's what we'll go through with the Holy Spirit and look at. But as I said, I wanted to focus mainly on um, Jesus' fully fully God and fully man. And I have to be very careful today, and I do it with fearful, trembling fear, because if I get something wrong today, that could be a bit dangerous. So what we are going to do is work through the Scripture and um, carefully look at what it means for Jesus to be fully God and fully human. So if you'd open your Bibles, please, and turn to John 1. We're just going to read the first four verses, and um, look at what they mean. So we're making the statement that um, Jesus is fully God, fully divine, and John does a great work in describing this, especially in the first four verses, um, but these first four verses make up part of a hymn. And when we have hymns, sometimes that can be lyrical uh, or artistic um, what's the word? expression used there. So where we see the term word, we need to actually replace that with Jesus. Because what John is talking about here is Jesus. Um, and he uses the word as a way to describe him. Okay. So John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, 
So, Jesus was with God and in the beginning. And the word, Jesus, was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, not anything made that was made. So zero creation. Creation was worked through him. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So in those first four um, verses, the writer here, John, is making a clear statement to us. But you can't remove Jesus from God. He is fully God. He is in always a part of God. But he's also human. And as we jump down to verse 14, we find out why. And the word became flesh. Sorry, I'll change my slide. And dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So God, being Jesus, came down to this earth to show us God. He became flesh. So right out the bat, John here is making this statement for us. Now, why does Jesus have to be fully God? And why does he have to be fully man? Well, when we look in Hebrews, um, the writer here explains the importance of Christ's humanity and why he had to come down from being God and become fully human. So here in Hebrews it said, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power over death, of death. Sorry. Um, so Jesus had to come down to do this work, to represent God here on earth, to share in our flesh, be human, and walk alongside us, suffering, to be able to pay the price, the price of sin, so that we, so that he could have power, so that he has now power over the one. So So he, the one, has power over the one of death. Yeah, I think it's a bit right. Anyway, um, so Jesus had to come down. He had to walk with us. But he also had to be fully divine. He couldn't just be a man because he wouldn't be able to bear the weight of the wrath of God. He couldn't bear the weight of that punishment. All right? So I'm just going to simplify it real quick because I don't want to spend too much time on this point. So Eric Raymond, who's from the Gospel Correlation, and he writes a blog for them, he put it into these two two points real simple. The Redeemer had to be truly human in order to suffer and sympathize, that is, to feel what we feel, to know what we feel, and to partake in that. 
And the Redeemer had to be truly divine in order to satisfy and secure our salvation. To satisfy, to satisfy and secure. In my tongue tied there. All right? So I just wanted to make that real clear. Jesus had to be fully divine and fully human. And if we remove any part of that, we cannot have salvation. Now, how amazing is it to think that there was a man walking around that was fully God? That, that is awesome to think about. And he had a ministry here on earth where he worked hard to spread all the things he could about God, about his kingdom that's coming, about who his father is, just to shine glory on the Trinity. He worked so hard at that. But the reality is, was it was just in one person. And so his ministry, as the son walking on earth during that time, was only limited to those that could actually go and hear him speak. If you were living somewhere else away from him, you couldn't hear that. So there was a limitation to Jesus' ministry. And it sounds kind of wrong saying that. But since he was only human living on earth, you could only hear him as far as you could hear his voice. Which is, you know, crazy to think. But he understood this. And the Trinity understood this. The Father understood this. So they had a plan. A plan set in place for when he leaves. So if you turn to John 16, chapter 4, and we're starting about halfway through chapter 4, I'm going to read to you their plan. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was, sent, I was with you, but now I'm going to him, him being the Father, who sent me. And none of you ask, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. So the disciples had become sad that the Father was leaving. Oh, that Jesus was leaving to the Father. Get that right. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning to sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because they because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So Jesus and the Father understood that someone else had to come. And that was the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit arrives on Pentecost. And he helps to unify the church. You see, they're all standing after Jesus has left them. 
in a room and the tongues of fire fall on them. And the Holy Spirit, this is the first time we see the baptism of the Spirit happening. And it falls upon them and the disciples, his followers, are then filled with the Spirit and they are imparted with these wonderful gifts. And these gifts are there to help build and unify the church. The church that we share in today. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by one Spirit, to another the workings of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits and to another various kinds of tongues and to the other, to another, the interpretation of tongues. The Spirit gives us these gifts that we can use them to help upbuild the church. So we get people that can preach. We get people that are wise beyond normal standards of wisdom. We get other people that have amazing faith or to some the gift of healing. And this all works to unify the church. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's a vital work, but it's not his only work. And this is the amazing thing, because I find quite often when we look at the Holy Spirit, we just look at him as a hander out of gifts. Oh, this is what we receive from the Holy Spirit. But no, the Holy Spirit has another vital role in our lives, and that is to sanctify us. The Holy Spirit works in each individual Christian's life to help them to become more Christ-like, to prepare them for heaven. This is amazing. This is a personal relationship we then have with the Holy Spirit. So it's not just the Holy Spirit in a corporal sense handing out gifts, but no, he comes and he's personal to you and he's working with you to change you. He changes you to, to bear these fruit, to bear love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. This is what Noah read before. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. Turning us away from what is worldly and evil and just not good. And giving us what is good. What is great. And turning us to be a mirror of Christ. It's amazing the work that the Spirit has in our lives. But wait. I sound like one of those um, TV commercials. But wait. There's more. Spirit work is not just done there. Not only is he uh, um, helping sanctify us, he's also our advocate. So when we go back to John 16, and it's in um, verse 7, the term used, and I'm reading out the ESV today, is helper, okay? But in the NIV they use advocate, and when we read it in the Greek, we get peri, perikletos. You know the great thing about Greek is no one can actually speak it, so you know you're not pronouncing it wrong because nobody's pronouncing it right. <laughs> um, but that word there, 
means advocate. It has been translated to helper, and that is an all right translation, but I prefer the term advocate because what Perikletos actually points to is a legal term. It's a legal term to describe how law disputes would be handled. See, your Perikletos was a very special person to you. He was the person that you would turn to when you're in trouble, and they would know your heart the best. They would know your person the best, and they would go off and advocate for you, speak on your behalf. And for me, when I read through this and was studying about this, it just highlighted one point in my life, um, and it happened last year to me, where I was quite beat up where I was quite low down. I had to leave a job because of horrible work circumstances. And I was in a pit of depression and anxiety. And I was not well. And it was to the point that I couldn't even defend myself or speak on my own behalf. I could no longer fight for what I was fighting for. And I needed an advocate to step in and speak for me, to fight for me. Um, And that advocate came in the form of my brother Isaac. He stood for me when I couldn't. And I had a, a meeting that I couldn't attend to, to go through some workplace disputes. And I just praise the Lord that my brother was able to stand in my stead and fight on my behalf, which is just awesome, and I'm so thankful to that. But guys, this is what the Holy Spirit does for us. He stands on our behalf. And as Shelley has already mentioned, which I just love, in Romans 8, he is working in our weaknesses. When we can't stand... He is there advocating for us. He's there fighting for us. When we can't even bring words to our lips, when we can't cry out for help and we are in pain, He speaks for us on our behalf. I just want you to sit there and think on that. That whatever you're going through, however hard it is in your heart, know you're not alone. Know that you have someone fighting for you. And when we read in 27, this speaks to the Holy Spirit's knowledge of you. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So just as you can search your own heart and know what is in your heart, the Holy Spirit knows what's in your heart as well. He is there. He knows it. You have him there fighting for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just... We come before you and we just thank you. We thank you for this wonderful divine plan you had 
of first sending Jesus, your son, fully divine, to be fully man, to walk this earth and to suffer and to feel what it is to be human, but also be fully divine so that he can be a sufficient sacrifice for our sin. And Lord, we thank you for the Holy Spirit that works to unify our, the body of Christ, our church, giving us gifts each day to be able to better the church, to grow us. And we thank you that your Spirit continues to work in each one of our lives, turning us to look more like you every day. turning us away from what is wrong to what is good. But Lord, today we, we really thank you that, that your Holy Spirit is an advocate fighting for us, standing in our corner. Lord, we thank you for that, and we praise you in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.